today, um, actually on Tuesday, Pastor Brian had asked me to preach, and ever since I've been thinking on what to talk about. And there's three reasons why I decided on this. There's three reasons. One, I'm passionate about it. Two, I realize whether you are a Christian or you're not a Christian or you've been a Christian your entire life, you will wrestle with this reality. And the third thing is that it's super important to our faith. And what I'm going to be talking about this morning is God's righteousness and how it relates to us and how we need to relate to it and all about that. But we're going to be talking about God's righteousness. And I've been growing up in the church since 2008 when I read it rededicated my life to Jesus. And I see this fight and this wrestleness with righteousness in all of our areas. For new believers, all believers, everyone in the journey, they have this. So what is the definition of righteousness? And from the Merriam-Webster um, dictionary said, the quality of being morally right or justified. For most of the world, their basis of righteousness will be the standard of goodness. How good am I? Like, if you were to ask them, would you go to heaven, or do you think you make it to heaven? They say, well, I, I'm not a murderer. I, I don't steal. I don't cheat. I'm a kind person. Yeah, I'm a good person. So the standard for majority of the world will be on the basis of how good are you? I'm good. I, I'm going to make it. That's the, the standard. For... Our brothers and sisters, us as a family, the Christians, we say it's Jesus, but hang around us long enough and you realize the statements we are saying. And we might not be reflecting that Jesus really is our righteousness. We say things like, well, I'm not like them. And we compare. Or we say things like, well, I'm praying every day or I read my Bible every day. Um, my sermon is incredible, which I don't know. Um, <laughs> look how I'm helping people. Look at what I'm doing. And we switch the basis of righteousness, not just, just on Jesus. We switch the basis of righteousness based on the work that we do, based on what I have done, based on look what I have accomplished, not what Jesus is. And we try to make our righteousness be Jesus and and the end, it's you. The end is me. The end is whatever we seem to put our focus or put our attention or put our delight in. That is our end. We all have this type of pride in all of us, whether you're Christian, not Christian. We all have this because we are born in this world. It's called a human nature. We all have this. So what do we do with it? What should be our response when we realize, oh my goodness, this is a reality? For Christians, it's a little bit better to understand. But for non-Christians, sometimes this word righteousness is a little hard. But if you go and talk to somebody who has been an atheist or a non-believer or hasn't believed in God, later on in their lives, they consistently, throughout their lives, if you were to ask them, they're trying to work their stay on earth because they have no sense of meaning. So they're trying, they looked, I have read stories of incredible artists, incredible filmmakers who say, I got to continue working on something because I, I finished this art or I finished this work or I finished this 
and it, it only bought me so much time to be here. And now they have to continue on this cycle of performing again so they can stay on the earth. So that's the way that the world might think about it. Some of it, not all of them, but some of the world might think like that, that they have to produce something, that they have to create something in order to gain their stay. And Jesus, in the story we're going to take a look at, challenges self-righteousness, challenges the way we actually see how righteous are we. So our passage this morning is from Luke 18. It will be on the screen. There's Bibles, I think, around you. You can pull it up on your phone. But Luke 18, verse 9 through 14, and it says this. Jesus is teaching through storytelling. So in verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and treated others with content. Oh, I lost my page. To um, with content. Uh, Look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple and prayed, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Let me grab my Bible so I can do it. This is why it's great to have markers on your Bible, and I forgot to do it today. There it is. So Jesus... The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other man, extortionist, injustice, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. Because on the other side, there's a tax collector. And I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. So here's where the Pharisee is. God, thank you that I am not like so-and-so. God, thank you that I am not like this tax collector. God, thank you that I am not like this adultery. God, I give you, and I fast twice a week. God, I give you all my money and my tithes, 10% of what you ask. Here I am, and this is what the Pharisee is doing. And on the other side, we have the tax collector. And he's standing far off. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beats his chest. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts themselves will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee over here was coming to pray to God, and he was saying, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at my goodness. Look at all that I give you. Look how I fast twice a week. Look how I pray the Jewish, the Jewish prayer morning, evening, and at night. Look how I'm faithful. Look at all my good works. That's what the Pharisee is doing over here. And on the other hand, we have the tax collector who knows he's a sinner, who knows he's messed up. He says he's pounding his chest. Not with pride, but with humility. Say, God have mercy on me. 
a sinner. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But the Pharisee over here was self-righteous. What's self-righteousness? Having or showing the attitude of someone who, is strong or who strongly believes in the rightness of his or her actions or opinions. The Pharisee over here on my right was self-righteous. In his prayer to God, he kept saying, look at me. Look at me. I thank you. I'm not like. I am fast. I give. Look, it's all about I, I, I. As I was studying this passage, I was studying this, the, the scholars were saying he wasn't even praying to God because he was actually praying to himself. He was at the temple. He's at the church. <laughs> he's saying, God, here I am. But he's saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at me. And the sadly thing is that so many of times we think we're not like the Pharisee. But if we actually pause and reflect at the motives behind the things that we do, we are more like the Pharisee than the tax collector. You ask me how X. Well, for me personally, just to be honest, if I have to help my family, sometimes I don't want to do it. But other times I want to do it because I want to feel good about myself. The motive is not, let me glorify God, let me be loving like Jesus. No. <laughs> the motive behind me helping my family is, I want to feel good about myself. I, I'm going to earn this goodness. Self-righteousness. It's not God. It's not humility. The motive behind it, and you can put whatever your scenario is there, when nobody sees you, when nobody sees you, and you look great, you talk great, you seem great, but what's the motive behind in your heart? Is it to grab God's attention or people's attention so they can praise you? Oh my goodness, you're so incredible. Or is it really to honor God? The Pharisee kept saying, God, look at me. Look at me. We have all, all of us have moments like this. We need to be careful because if we credit ourselves for a supposed great or spiritual walk to have that, then it's an easy thing to despite another for their low walk with God. We become self-righteous. There's five tales of a self-righteous individual. A self-righteous person would think of themselves to be important. Look at me. I'm such a great deal. You are so, you guys are privileged that I'm here sharing God's word this morning. You guys don't know how privileged you are. Look how important I am. That's one tell that you might be dealing with a self-righteous. Another one is, look at all that I've done. They praise about their work. They actually have a list about the work. Oh, I'm doing this. I'm going here. I'm doing that. I get to be privileged to do this. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I don't, I don't want to brag. So that's what I'm saying, statements. It's like, oh, I, oh, I'll brag about this. Oh, I cleaned the toilet today. Oh, my goodness, I came, the lights weren't working, so I grabbed on the ladder, and I tried working and fixing the light. Things that I actually did this morning. Um, <laughs> but we have a list of things that's an indication that you're dealing with a self-righteous. Another one is they talk back to God, not in necessarily in conversation, but when God convicts them of their sin, 
It's like, oh, no, that wasn't sin. That's, I was doing that for, for their benefit. Or that, that helped this person. I'm not stealing whatever that sin might be. Self-righteous person always is ready to share how wonderful their life is going. Which is good to share, to encourage one another. There's a difference with that. But they don't even let you speak. <laughs> you're talking to them. You're sharing what's happening in your life. And they don't even give you an ounce and even an inch to share what God is doing in your life. You might be dealing with a self-righteous person. And the last one is a self-righteous person condemns sinners. Because they think, that I'm so perfect. I got it all figured out. Look at them. Who are you? Oh, my goodness. What are you doing here? You guys shouldn't be here. What? You guys are not holy enough, righteous enough to be in this place to worship. And what I'm saying all that is the reality is that both Christian and non-Christian, my first point is this morning is that we have to surrender our standard of righteousness. We have to surrender. You have to surrender your standard. If you're a non-believer, there is an absolute standard. And when you decide to follow Jesus, and I want you to listen in if you're not a believer, because some point I'm believing that God will grab a hold of your heart, and this will help you in your journey as you move on or you say yes to Jesus. And for those of us who are here who are Christians, I want you to surrender your standard. Whatever your standard is, it's not that. I can guarantee it. Whatever your standard is that you think this is the right way to do it, no, it's not. Surrender the standard of goodness. It doesn't measure up to God. Surrender your idea that you could possibly earn this righteousness. You can't. Isaiah 64, 6 says this. For we all have become like one who is ceremonially unclean, like a leper. And all of our deeds of righteousness are like filthy rags. This is a wake-up call for all of the Christians in this room. Because so many times we think, look at what I'm doing, look at what I've done. But the reality is that in your perfect days, your perfect action, your most holy day, whatever you think it is, all of that day is just a dirty rag. Dirty, broken, ugly, used. Full of sin. There's nothing that you can do and live perfectly to actually think, I have it figured out. The reality is that our righteousness, God's righteousness, is in Jesus. And we say yes to Jesus, we get that righteousness. But it's not because we worked hard. It's not because we pray hard. It wasn't because we memorized the entire Bible or read so many sermons or acted this way or I'm a pastor or I suggested that. None of that makes you righteous. And we need to understand that if we're going to be a loving church to reach out to the world because the world hates the fact that they come in and we are just looking down at them with our long noses because we think we are righteous because of something we have done. And that's far from the truth. The gospel is that 
me and them could never earn God's love, could never earn God's righteousness. But when we say yes to Jesus, God sees us through Jesus. God sees us through his son. So I don't have to work up my righteousness. I don't have to work out how holy I am. Should you live holy? Absolutely, because God is holy. That doesn't mean ignore your sin. No, God calls you to repent and humble yourself before him. That is coming to Jesus. That is surrendering your life to Jesus. But so many times we do that and then we're walking well with Jesus, and we think, oh, I, I got it figured out. Oh, I'm righteous. Oh, I'm better than them. Oh, I'm better. Oh, the, the world, the world, the world. Well, you're a sinner too. I'm a sinner too. And it's not my good works. It's not how wonderful I am. None of that. It's all Jesus It's what he's done on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you and I. When we messed up, when we were broken, when we didn't deserve it, he sent his son to die a gruesome death to pay the high price. And who do we think we are that we can somehow earn that price? We can't. It's a free gift from God. It's a free gift from him. So we need to surrender our standard, whatever that is. If you think it's Jesus and how holy I am, it's not that. It's just Jesus. If you think it's Jesus and how much a Bible I know, it's not that. It's just Jesus. If you think it's Jesus and my faithfulness, it's not that. It's just Jesus. It's not Jesus and it's just Jesus. Our righteousness is anchored in God's sacrifice for us, for you and I, so we can stand bold before the Father, not because we're perfect, not because we have it all figured out, not because we're not sinners, not because, no, it's all because when we come to our Heavenly Father, He sees us through the eyes of Jesus when we are walking in Him. So we need to surrender, church, our standard of how righteous, of how good, good I feel. In your good days, it's Jesus. In your bad days, it's Jesus. Your heavenly father still loves you the same. When you mess up, do get back up. Run to the father, repent and humble yourself. But in all of that, it's still Jesus. We just say yes to him. We say yes to this gift that he has for us. We say yes to this sacrifice that he's so paid for us so we can walk with him. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God and what he has done and what he continues to do in our lives. It was, it is, and we will always be Jesus in what he has done for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus his son, his only beloved son, who knew no sin, who lived the perfect life, who humbled himself and came into earth and walked among men, walked and moved into the neighborhood, lived like you and I, and did not sin and was obedient to the Father in every occasion. God made him who had no sin, who never sinned, become sin so that you and I can have the blessings that are dependent 
or that will follow those who are righteous. It's just, it was God. It was his love. So my second point this morning is accept God's standard. This is God's standard. It's his son, Jesus. God's standard of holiness is not Jesus and it's just Jesus. God's standard of holiness is my son's sacrifice. And when you are walking in Christ, in the scripture it says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we're walking in Christ, when we're walking alongside him, we can be joyful. But when we boast, we boast about the fact that it's Jesus. It's what he's done for us. It's how he loves us. It's how he cares for us. It's how he has transformed us. He's transforming us. How he's walking with us. And because we encounter that, we love the people around us through that same love because we realize I couldn't have earned this. It's a free gift. It's a free joy. It's a free freedom. It's a free power that I receive from him because I just say yes to him. I didn't earn this. It was what he did. So accepting God's standard, we need to just follow his way. We need to, this is the standard that we are justified by faith. Justified by faith. It's not something that we can do or earn. He said this, but the tax collector stood at the distance in verse 13. And he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, the sinner. As I was studying this in the Greek, he wasn't just saying, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, or I'm part of the sinner. He was saying, have mercy on me, the sinner. The shift of sinners, the main sinner, have mercy on me. He wouldn't even look up to God, realizing his sin, realizing his mistake. And he said, have mercy upon me, the sinner. And so many times in my life, I have said, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. But I haven't, there are moments, of course I have. But in those moments, sometimes I just make it general, oh, I'm part of the sinner. But here, the tax collector is, I'm the sinner. I'm the one sinning against you. He realized, as he looks at God's goodness, he realized how he's not good. So he humbled himself before God. So accept God's standard. The only way you and I can be walk in righteousness is as we humble ourselves before God. The word mercy here is actually anchored in the Old Testament of atonement, the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, in order when people, when the Israelites messed up, they needed to grab an animal, lay their hands. And when they were laying their hands on the animal, they were basically saying, I'm placing all my sins on this pure animal who has no spots, who have no blame. And then the priest would come and cut its head. And it was a representation of the price that animal paid, but it was a representation of their sins being paid off through that animal. But Jesus is this perfect lamb that was sacrificed for you and I. The mercy that the tax collector is crying out to God when he's not even looking up, he's saying, your atonement, God, your good, faithful atonement, watch me clean. 
cleanse me, pay my debt. This is before Jesus had died. And Jesus is sharing this story. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. This man went home justified rather than the other. The justification of the tax collector was immediately. I don't know for who that is this morning, but that is good news. That you don't have to, again, you can't earn it. You don't have to jump through certain hoops. You don't have to say, I got to clean my life a little bit before I come to Jesus. No, just come as you are. Just come wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, wherever you find yourself online in your homes, whatever you're struggling, come to God as you are. Wherever you're here, come to God as you are. The tax collector came and he humbled himself before God. And the scripture says that when he went home, he was justified. That justification happened immediately as he humbled himself before God. It wasn't that he got water baptized, even though that's an incredible step in your face. Please do that. But it wasn't that he went water baptized. It wasn't that he got baptized in tongues. It wasn't that he did seven classes on how to be saved and walk righteously. It wasn't that. It was simply that he humbled himself before God and said, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. That's God's standard of justification. You realizing that is, there's nothing that you can do but humbling yourself before him. And he is faithful and just to forgive you. He is faithful and just. He, humble, he humbly came to God on the basis of God's atoning sacrifice, and he was justified. He didn't earn, this tax collector didn't earn his justification. He didn't have to appropriation period. He was simply justified, meaning that all of his mistakes were washed clean. He was looked as he had done nothing wrong because Jesus was the one who was purifying. He was justified because as a sinner, he humbled and prayed for mercy, for God's atonement. He didn't say, God, have mercy to me. I'm not a Pharisee. He didn't say, God, have mercy on me, I repent, a repentant sinner. He didn't say, God, have mercy on me for a praying sinner. He didn't say, God, have mercy on me, I'm only human. He did not say, God, have mercy on me, I'll try to do better tomorrow. He prayed, body, soul, and spirit, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. It was not like the Pharisees saying, I, I, I. But his whole entire focus in the few words that he says in the Greek is actually even less words that he actually pronounced Jesus in the story that the tax collector prayed. For he actually prayed less words than the Pharisees. But he's saying, God, have mercy upon me. His focus wasn't, me, 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 look at what I've done. Look at how I'm repenting. Look how I'm humbling myself before you. No, he said, God, have mercy on me. His whole entire focus was on God. So you, this morning, for you and I, let's accept God's standard. How do we become righteous? How do we walk in that righteousness? By simply humbling ourselves before the living God. 
by simply saying, have mercy upon me, and not be about me, 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 but just simply, God, how good you are. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve you sending your son to die for me and paying the price. But you so love me. You so care for me. that You were willing to send your only son to die for my mistakes. What a price you have paid. What a sacrifice. God, have mercy on me. The last thing is living in God's standard. It's not just surrendering all our standard. It's not just accepting God's standard. But after you have accepted God's standard, start living in his righteousness. Start living in that blessing. This is good news because Jesus, everything that we need, everything that we're longing for is in Jesus. Scripture finished in this story by Jesus saying that everyone who exalts himself will be abased and he will be humble himself, will be exalted. Essentially, the Pharisees saw prayer in his spiritual life as a way to be exalted, but the tax collector approached God in humility. True humbleness is simply seeing the things that we are, the way they are, And the Pharisee saw himself as something greater than he was not. And the tax collector saw himself as a sinner needing God's mercy, which he was. To gain nothing by coming to God in the light of pride, the prince of God resists the proud. This is a reality. But he gives grace to the humble. It's so important to repent and humble ourselves before God. As the team comes up and we going to sing an altar call. We need to live in God's righteousness. After we have surrendered, after we have accepted his righteousness, his standard, we need to live it. And the way we live it is not to consistently humble ourselves before him. Because after you have accepted, after he has forgiven you, you're going and you might mess up again. But the scripture says, get back up. Do a righteous man fall 700 times? He gets back up and follows God. So when you do mess up, which you will, get back up and run to the Father. And then extend the same grace to those around you. The wonderful thing and the so crucial thing about this truth in God's word is that because we realize we couldn't earn his grace. We couldn't earn his righteousness. And it's a free gift from him to us. Who are we to not share that with those around us? Who are we to think that we're better than those around us? It's anything. It should prolong, it should propel us to go and share the good news that, man, I don't deserve it. And look what God has done in my life because of his goodness because of his faithfulness, because of who he is. And God wants to bless you and embrace you and give you that same freedom and that same joy and that same righteousness that I'm experiencing because he's not a God who withhold anything from anyone. But he freely gives. He freely gives because the price has been paid already through his son, Jesus. Amen. If you can stand with me.
this morning two invitations. If you never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have made your standard to be simply on the basis of how good you are, or you simply don't think that it matters. I heard it said like this by a preacher talking to an atheist. Let's just say you are right. And when we die, there's nothing after life. Why would I have lost if I loved Jesus, cared like Jesus, gave my life to honor Jesus? And at the end of life, there was nothing. And you were right as an atheist or as a non-believer. Then I lost nothing. I lost nothing. But let's say for a second that I'm right as a Christian. And that is life after death. There is a God. There is purpose. There is an eternal life. There is an eternal redemption plan that God has for you. And you never accepted that. What have you lost? You lost everything. So even with an atheist mindset and thinking, saying yes to Jesus is the right decision that you can say. So whether you feel far from God or you never experienced that, this morning there's an invitation for you to say yes to God. And I'm just going to ask you to come to this altar after worship team plays and come pray. We'll, we want to pray with you. Let one of the ushers or the pastors who will be on the stage that you just want to accept Jesus as your Lord. And we want to pray alongside you, encourage you, and walk with you and resource you. Other thing for the altar call this morning. So that's the first call for the altar call. The second one is, if you know, if you are like me, who know that I have blown it. I have messed up. I have thought that I could earn somewhat of this God's righteousness on my own. But as I'm hearing PX this morning, I realized I can earn it. It's not me. And God, I have to come back to your altar and humble myself before you. And say, God, change me and transform me. Change my thinking. Change my thought. That it wouldn't be about me. That it wouldn't be about my works. That it wouldn't be me trying to earn something that I can never earn. But God, that it would be a truth that it's just you. Come to this altar. Let me pray for you and then I invite the altar and team. You can pray and lead us in worship. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you, God, that you have paid the ultimate price by sending your son to die for us, by making a way accessible for us to have relationship with you. God, that it doesn't have to be how wonderful I am, how good I am, or how I work or jump through the soup, or that, no, God, that it's just you. That is simply humbling myself before you and realizing how big you are, how incredible you are, God. So God, I pray in this morning, as you are working in hearts and speaking to people and challenging people and drawing each and every single one of us to yourself, would you encounter us with your incredible grace? Would you wash us clean? Would you give us hope? 
And would you strengthen us to walk humbly before you as we just look to you and say, have mercy. Have mercy on us, God. Have mercy on us because you are so good, because you are living God, because you have sent your son to pay the price. Wash us clean as we worship you and say yes to you this morning.